Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello, welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be taking a look back at a feisty and frenetic weekend of Premiership action and ahead to what might happen in the final round this weekend. We'll be having a look at what we might expect from Eddie Jones' England squad announcement later this week. And we're going to chat more about the British and Irish Lions with a man who went on the last tour to South Africa in 2009. Luke Fitzgerald will be joining us. Plus, we'll be answering... A few of your social media questions as well, so turn up the volume, open your cloth, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability, no system no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. We have our live show coming up in two weeks at the Clapham Grand. It is a sell-out, but you can register to watch the live stream online. And the great news is we've teamed up with Beer52 to give everyone watching from home a free rugby pod case of eight beers. So you'll have something to drink while you watch the show. Just go to beer52.com to sign up and you can cancel at any time. So claim your free beers and use the code RUGBYPOD and get yourself set up for a night in with us on the 23rd of June. How are we, lads? Fucked. How fucked are you? What's the matter? You've been so positive recently, and then you've just come on. First thing you've said on this podcast, how are you? Fucked. I, I, I speak the truth here. My back is well and truly gone. And now Andy Rowe's looking at me. We've not had the discussion yet, the conversation. I will be there in and around Ben Nevis at the weekend, Andy Rowe. I will be there. It might be in a car. It might be on a stretcher and you dragging me up, but I will be there. So let's get that out of the way with first. But my goodness me, I've done it good and proper. I think I've, the cause of the problem, the calf, the pulling out of all these different events, thinking I'm an absolute hero. It Can you believe how ironic that it was playing touch with a bunch of bin men that has ended not only my rugby career, that has put me in this position where I'd arguably say I'm in the most pain I've ever been in my life. So I could give you five <laughs> or six shout outs to the people that have helped me. No one's helped me. No one. <laughs> I've got to help myself, lads. Um, I'm in a world of bother, I'll be honest. But as you've just heard by the tone of my voice, I just get on with it, lads. You know, every day, I don't moan about it. I'm positive about it. I'm fucked, is basically what I'm trying to say. So, FNL um, Mike, the poor lad. Edinburgh Castle down to Windsor Castle. He wanted the 45, let's call it 145,000 followers of Jim Hamilton, speaking in the third person, to get behind him, back him up on the bike from Edinburgh Castle. I couldn't even walk up to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone cycle the first 120k legs. So FNL Mike, I'm sorry, I will make it up to you. Yeah, you, you talked about the eating mess, you dominate that and you wouldn't even flinch, then your calf went and then you're talking about going up Ben Nevis and you said you'll be fine. You said you won't even flinch, you'll walk it backwards. And now a week later, <laughs> reality, reality's kicked in, hasn't it, son? You're old, you're decrepit, you're not Jim the legend that can just do anything. You know, you're saying people haven't helped you out. It got that bad that Jim's phoning me going, mate, have you got any painkillers left from your operation when you had pins Send and them up put in your ankle? <laughs> Post them up to me. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel for you, Jim. No, you don't. And I do, I do, because backs are brutal. It is one of them things where you're looking for a blame, you're looking for a claim. Now, it got me deep in thinking. Obviously, once we retire, we've seen you've had your leg fused, your ankle fused, you've had your lid done, but obviously that had nothing to do with... Well, it might have done. It might have to do with your playing days that got wiped off in malls or rocks. I don't really know. I don't know how losing your hair works that bad. I have been relatively lucky in terms of... I thought I could still do it. Obviously, I can't, and I've slipped this disc in my back, and it's agony. Who pays for it? Now, I'm not looking to blame. I'm not looking to claim... But that's the thing about around rugby after. It got me thinking. Like, we're lucky enough, thanks to Spotify, humbly, that we can 
dig into the piggy bank and go and source treatment and whatever we need. The piggy bank or the piggy bank? Which one's that? Okay, I see what you've done there. There ain't a back, so let's just call it the piggy bank. But it's got me thinking, like, surely us as players, right, you should, I know the RPA do unbelievable things. And, you know, we're just, we're just two of the war stories coming out of it that people can listen to. But surely there's something that you can start paying into, right? As a player, under a quid a week, under a quid a month, whatever it is, that when you get to 38, my age, when you get to 45, your age, and above them ages, you can start digging into that piggy back, piggy bank, to go and get the medical care and the physio that you need. Trying to get a physio or trying to get any kind of treatment is impossible. I rang me doctor on the NHS and he said, he said, I can't laugh because my back is sore. There's a six month wait. There's a six month. I says, Doc, I'm on my fucking back. I ain't got six months. I ain't got six months. I'm meant to be climbing Ben Nevis at the weekend. Weren't bothered. Weren't bothered at all. So oh I'm not going to name drop a load of other people, but what are you meant to do within them six months? I'm crawling to bed who's to blame is it me is it the touch rugby lads who wouldn't stop when i'm screaming touch at the weekend whose fault is it but anyway (laughs) blame the bin man blame yourself blame beck blame the kids blame anyone i've been telling you for years don't go and play touch don't go and overexert yourself you've retired you've lost your calves you've lost your quads you've lost your shoulders you've lost your chest i've lost my way of life yeah but you'll be back son you'll be back listeners you'll have to come back I don't know if I'll be here, but if I'm not here, you know what? I've I've done my very best trying to trying to do my best thing by my by myself. Basically, I, look like Beck said at home. She said you're selfish, Jim. It's all about you. It's all about what you want to do, about how much you want to put yourself out there. And I just said I need it, and she said, "Well, I ain't with you. I'm not supporting you like I did back in the day." So anyway, it's enough about me, Andrew. I saw you on the bike today. I was going to say, ask how Andy Rowe was. It sounds like he's been swallowing testicles, but if you follow his social media, he had three <laughs> likes when he was at Lord's Cricket at the weekend. So <laughs> you good self, Andrew? You've been out on the bike again, haven't you? Yeah, well, it's a long, long weekend for me. It started on Friday. Alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning. The Blue Light Cycling Club, as we spoke about last weekend, were doing uh, the tour of the UK to raise money for cops charity which is care of police survivors so alarm goes off five o'clock friday morning have a quick shower four bagels four cups of coffee in the car drive into central london for a 7 a.m meet and start up to cambridge did a couple of hours with the boys there then had to ride How a couple long? of hours back you've said a couple of hours what is that 20 minutes or like what's uh, a couple, couple of hours a couple of hours well basically is uh, it started raining so i thought i better turn around lads and get back to the car because then does that include the meeting point though does the two hours mean like from when you've got in your car or from when you've got out your car or from when you've clicked your feet in to the pedals all i know is we started off at 7 a.m i said goodbye to the lads and lasses that are on the the trip at 9 a.m and i'm back at the starting point at 11 a.m and then i've got back and i've had to fly up to manchester so i've got my car driven straight to heathrow airport flying up to Manchester to do BT Sport. Um, bit of news around this and the podcast. What? I'm doing BT Sport. Sat in the stand just ab- above us was Eddie Jones, incognito with his cap on. And as you know, Jim, when you're doing a bit of uh, commentary, sometimes you're down pitch side, then you've got to make your way up to the commentary booth. I've gone up to the commentary booth, walking up the steps, and the only way to get up to the commentary booth is walk past Eddie Jones. Asking for me? He's seen me. I've seen him. Eddie's put his fist out to give it a fist bump and he's got his mask on. I've got my mask on. And he said something. Now, I can't confirm or deny what he said, but I could have sworn I heard him say, mate, goody, love the fucking podcast, mate. So he's an avid listener, listens to it every week. He is, mate. You know, it's weird you say that. I interviewed Warren Gatlin last week as well. Some interesting stuff. I don't want to give too much away. because Look like, at the top of here. Look at the top of here. I'm, I, I'm I chatting know. to Eddie Jones. Oh, I interviewed Warren Gatlin. All right, Jim. He's my yeah, mentor, carry on. though. You know, he's, my, he's, you know he's, he's like a father figure. You know, he's, he's a mentor to me. But it's a similar thing. Just gave me that nod. You know, that nod like on Zoom where you know it means I'll listen to the pod, Jim. Like, you know, that nod. Yeah. Well, Eddie Jones, he said it. He said it. He had his mask on, I had my mask on, there was music playing, but I could have sworn I heard Goody, mate, love the podcast. Anyway, gone up the steps, done some commentary, finished the game, um, all my Harlequins, pants around your ankles, and then my, one of my best mates, Mark Cueto, obviously is uh, heavily involved with sale. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go downstairs, have a few beers with him. A few beers lead to another few beers, lead to loads of gin and tonics, lead to four o'clock in the morning and we're still drinking at his house, and I am absolutely slippered. 
And so it was just battle station Saturday, battle station Sunday, just recovery mode. You know what it's like when you've gone too hard and you've you've had literally no sleep, and then you get home from being away from work, and the twins are causing carnage. You've just got to put a shift in, haven't you? So I did that Saturday and Sunday, and then for good measure, Monday morning, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and join the bike ride again. Oh, that's you. That's guilt. That's why. That's why you've done that. <laughs> yeah, Next time, is, yeah. Monday round. There's there's guilt there. But an event, eventful weekend. Uh, loads of good stuff for Cops Charity and the Blue Light Cycling Club. Met loads of amazing police officers who love the pod as well, Jim. Who are fantastic at what they do and deserve a huge amount of respect for keeping us safe. And yeah, I'm absolutely slippered. When you were chatting to Eddie Jones, Goody, did he mention anything about his England squad? That he's naming uh, for the summer test against USA and Canada on Thursday. Mention who might who the captain might be. Funnily enough, uh, and you say that I was you just chatting away to him. I thought, do you know what, Eddie? You're struggling for coaches, and I, I thought I'd put my hat in the ring. He said, "Mate, do you want to come in and be a consultant nutritionalist?" I said, "Eddie, mate, you're taking a piss here now." Goal kicking expert, yes. How to get find a shortcut in a training session? I'm your man. Nutritionist, a little bit too much, Eddie. So, uh, no, it was literally a fist bump. Goody, you've got the best podcast out there with Big Jim. Did he know me? Did he name drop me? No. Oh. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's that week, isn't it, when, you know, we've got a squad being announced. We've seen the Scotland squad last week. We've seen the Wales squad announced today. Uh, there's obviously loads of players from England been picked on the British and Irish Lions tour so you're looking for the next tier of players and obviously from from England's perspective you know some some quality out there Max Malins at fullback ripped it up again at the weekend Harry Randall back from injury I thought he ripped it up as well so he'll be in with a shout Marcus Smith will play at 10 hopefully you know hopefully we're going to see Manu Turlangi promoted up to the British and Irish Lions at some point which I'm sure he will be over the next sort of month or so um, so then you're looking at players like Ollie Lawrence, this young breed of players. And Eddie Jones said it himself, didn't he? He did some press last week. I'm still trying to work out why he did some press. Was it just so he could get his name out there? Maybe he wanted to come on the podcast. No, he was sticking up for himself for coaching in Japan and coaching in America, but no one can travel, but you can travel, but don't wear a mask and wear a mask and coach Bowden Barrett. That's why he was doing press. He ne- he ne- it was a time that he needed to basically do press for the country that he coaches. But I'm not being horrible, Eddie. You know me and I know you. So looking at a lot of younger players that Eddie's come out and said he needs to a younger squad to win the World Cup in 2023. So I think we're going to see some young players. Freddie Stewart at fullback. He'll, he's got a fair chance of being picked as well alongside Malins. I think Malins deserves a full shot at starting at fullback. Um, yeah, in the forwards, you've got players like Will Stewart. Uh, Genji, who actually, you know, you kind of look at him and go, well, he's an international regular now, but he doesn't start many test matches. So it'll be a good opportunity for Ellis Genji, I think, to start. Second row is the interesting one because you've got obviously Marrow and Johnny Hill on the Lions tour, Courtney Laws as well. Charlie Yules, I'm sure, will be involved. Jim, your thoughts on other second rows? David Ribbons, potentially, was playing like he deserved it. And then he's obviously got sent off at the weekend and you know with only one game left for Northampton this year that you can count as a ban it just depends on the severity of the ban for him that might have cost him you know a couple of test matches I reckon it might have done uh, Dave Atwood I don't know whether he'll want to go uh, he's, he's not retired as he's he? too old though isn't he Dave Atwood deserves it on form but again does it suit the age demographic that Eddie's after I thought George Martin was wicked at the weekend. And Did you see him smash Nathan Hughes? My and that's I text Deeks and I said he's back because his form dipped a little bit. I don't know whether he was injured or both has rested him. I don't know what the story was with him. Is he a second row? He's lost a lot of timber. Not that he had a load of timber on him. Maybe it's a bit of puppy fat. But he looks leaner. And I'm like, is he a six? Is he a second row? And I've spoken about him before. At the weekend against Bristol's, he was wicked. So he's definitely going to be in off the back of that. I'm trying. To, I said to you, the second rows are hard, aren't they? Because Launch Launchbury's injured, but he's aging as well, right? You mentioned David Ribbons, and he obviously took the high shot. You're looking at a six week down to a three week ban. So where does that leave him potentially? Alex Moon as well. He's been on the bench for Northampton. He was in in and around it. Uh, Stuky as well uh, was in and around it. I think before. So I'm trying to think. I don't know. I don't know where the the next locks are coming through. But uh, Nick Azikway, he's been playing back row, second row. He did. He got a few caps, didn't he, under Eddie Jones? Sure. Sean Robinson up at Newcastle might have a dig. But yeah, I think the back row will be interesting, won't it? Will he cap Don Brandt? Um, he's got to. You know, got to. Of course. So Alex Don Brandt, you've got Ben Earls uh, as well, who's a fantastic player. I don't know how far he would have been from the Lions. Ted Hill as well. 
I mean, off the back of that try last week, the bogey team against Le- uh, Leicester, not seeing much of t- I don't watch much of Worcester, to be honest. I'll just go top end. Poor team. Maybe an horrible, Jim. Yeah, well, I'm just speaking frankly, but there's a load of noise around Ted Hill as well. I, I think back rowers, it depends on Underhill whether, you know, do, do you make Underhill captain? You know, there's a shout. You know, you, you've got some, do you play Billy Vanapola? Because actually, oh, yeah. as, much as, we, as much as we say, you know, they shouldn't have played in the Six Nations because they hadn't played any rugby. He hasn't played that much rugby, so maybe he's hungry for it. Well, it'll be down to if he's next in line for the Lions, won't it, for Billy? Yeah, I can't see Billy ever getting picked for the Lions while Warren Gatton's head coach. After what he said last time, after the, the 2017 tour, he said... Oh, yeah, true. Um, if Eddie Jones had been coached, we'd have won that series 3-0. Navidi's going to be picked before him if there's injuries... CJ Stander pulling him out of retirement. Who, who knows? But I, I can't see Billy Vanapola pulling the Lions jersey at all. And Ed Robinson and Alex Codlin have been named as Eddie Jones' assistants for the summer as well, haven't they? Weird, weird one with Alex Codlin. I, I don't know the back story around that, but he was at Quinn's with Guzzi and he left mid-season. He was coaching yep. Ealing before because I remember when I was at Saracens, he used to turn up to training and just be in awe of how I used to sack malls. <laughs> and next thing he ends up at Quinn's uh, and then next thing he ends up at England and then like well, he's he's doing the 20s as well isn't he you know I've known Codders for years actually he's a really good bloke um, I, I don't know anything about his coaching I know he was always very detailed and from what you hear he's, he's a proper line out Norse pig call him what you will is he um, nicknamed Codders because he's got a cod eye that's what like we had a couple of mates who had like funny looking eyes and we used to call him Codders like cod eye no, I think his nickname's Codders because his surname's Codling. So it's just the natural makes thing sense. to do, isn't it? Yeah, that makes um, sense. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Again, finding, I said it before, coaches, Eddie's got to go to people that would jump at the opportunity to coach for England, whoever's the head coach, because it's a brutal environment and word gets round, you know, there should be some top tier English coaches wanting to bite their hands off to, to go for the job. But, I think that'll only happen if um, post-2023 World Cup when perhaps Eddie moves on. Perhaps Eddie stays for another four after that. You never know. But we've always talked about the the constant change in in the backroom staff at, at England because of how hard Eddie Jones works slash rides them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, that's Cowboy it. Cowboys horses, yeah. For those, yeah, for those two boys, it's, it's a, a fantastic opportunity. We're playing Canada and USA. Um, so, in terms of the results, they're not going to be... In, under any threat at all, really, without being too arrogant. I think England's second, third team should be able to beat them. So, um, good experience for those boys. Uh, is it a long-term thing? Probably not. But then, no England coach, apart from John Mitchell, has really been a long-term appointment, have they? Matt Proudfoot, obviously, will hopefully be a long-term appointment. He's only a year or so into the job. But there's a lot of chopping and changing under Eddie Jones because they're Terry likes it, mate. Let's have a look at the premiership now. And there's only one real place to start, isn't there? What on earth happened at the end of Bristol's win over Leicester. Love it. I love drama. And the funny thing about it is, Andrew, now let's get this out of the way. I want Leicester to win, right? I wanted Leicester to win. I want Leicester to win. I wanted Leicester to qualify for the top eight. So my bias lies with Leicester, right? So you're biased. What you're saying is you're biased. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Also, what happened in the game does not affect my life at all, right? So it ain't personal. Like when I'm tweeting it or I'm watching it, it's sport, right? And the people getting angry and shouting cheat and it's ridiculous and F this and F that and S that. I'm siding here with Bristol on that specific interaction of the game. Now, Andrew, do you want me to give you my recollection of how I saw it? So as we know, it was a proper game, Leicester, proper physical, Bristol's arguably in third or fourth gear, looked like they were going to win the game or going to find a way to win the game. Leicester start turning the screw. So let's fast forward. Leicester start turning the screw at the end, going back to what we've seen of Leicester in recent weeks. More into the cow sheds and back, scrumming to the cow sheds and back. Now, this is where it gets interesting, right? They get a penalty at the end of the game. I personally would have kicked a corner, right? That's what I would have done off the back of Leicester's history, right? Scrums up in the air about what can happen. Nonetheless, Leicester go for the scrum. Great idea at the time because they win three, four. It could have been five penalties off the scrum. I don't, either way, the Bristol tight head. Let's just say 12 penalties at scrum. <laughs> Tempest goes to his book and Simbin's the Bristol replacement prop. Then you find yourself in a situation, right? You're Leicester. You've gone through the whole process of scrumming to the cow sheds and back. 
they want a scrum. The testosterone is high, right? The baby rhino is keen for more. So you've got John Afoa, the poor bugger. He's 40 years old. Let's just say he's 45 years old. He's been pulled off at 41 minutes. Weren't meant to play, apparently, anyway. Carl Sinclair was meant to play. So John Afoa's rocked up. He stepped up. Imagine, right, sitting on the bench. Even if you're 25 years old and being like, right, off you go, sir. No one, but fuck warming up the neck. You're on. So Pat Lamb <laughs> comes down to the bench. No mask on, right? No mask on. I don't know. He might be exempt. And... All the Leicester bench are screaming at John Afoa, get on there, he's fine, get on there, it's tactical, get on there. And I'm thinking, you don't want to wind a 42-year-old Kiwi up like who can scrum to the cow sheds and back. But nonetheless, that's what we're doing. He sat there on his hands, right? He, he's like, I, I ain't that keen to go on. You've got the baby rhino, is literally testosterone fueled up to the eyeballs. John Afoa at 42, I don't know when you start losing testosterone, but I think it's at 38, which is the age I am at now. They're all screaming, get yourself on. Pat obviously comes down mass free and they're trying to work out whether John Afoa can go back on. One, did he come off because he was injured? He didn't come off because he was injured. But what he was trying to say was, is he'd come off because he weren't meant to be playing and they're trying to look after him. Now, is it safe to put him back on in a scrum? Then obviously Ian Temper said, well, if he doesn't go back on, Bristol's, you need to yank another player off because you can't field another, you can't put John Afoa on because it was tactical and it wasn't an injury. So therefore, we need to give Leicester the opportunity to try and win the match in that way. Anyway, as that's happening, John Afoa gets up to go. Steve's like, yes, thank you, thank you. Like, As in, like, you've said you're going to go back on. He's going to go. Then then Steve's like, no, no, no. He said he's injured. He said he, So all of a sudden, there's this fucking carnage going on. Pat Lamb's saying, if, he, if he goes on, Pat Lamb's like, if he goes on and he's injured himself, it's on you. So, you know, it's they've all, they've all got the bushes out. They're all peacocking. Fast forward, John Afoa goes on. <laughs> He's the last man you want to go on for a scrum as well because he's that good. Let's just say he absolutely hoses Genji. Beep, 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 beep. Ball is in and around the bat rose feet. In the, who knows? It doesn't matter where it is. Leicester have just been hosing the scrum. Ball out game over Bristol's win. And then there's uproar, right? There's uproar around, are they cheating? Do you know what I mean? Is it bad sportsmanship? Yeah. The big thing lies around that kind of interaction on the bench and you know Leicester feel like they're stitched up. If I was Leicester and I wanted Leicester to win... I'd be annoyed that it took that many many penalties to see a Simbin in. Well, G3 has asked on Twitter, why no penalty try at the end of Leicester-Bristol game? Blatant repeated violations in the scrum, even before Lamb's gamesmanship. Well, you can't... Uh, for penalty tries, You the referee has to be certain that a try is going to be scored. So from the penalties that were given away at scrum time... Leicester were never going forward at a rate of knots where the eight's controlling the ball and it looks like they're going to score and then the scrum drops. It was all infringement so all the actual referee can do is just go to his yellow card he, the, the argument is should he gone to his yellow card earlier um, and that's the debate really so you can only give a penalty try if the referee is certain that a try was going to be scored and an act of foul play has stopped that from happening um, and you can't look at those scrums and say they were definitely going to march them over because it was you know although he was giving penalties away it, 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 it was straight away at, at engagement and as the balls come in and all that stuff um, so it's never a penalty try but First thing I'll say is Ian Tempest handled that first part of it exceptionally well, you know. And and the worst thing for me that from Pat Lamb was to say if he goes on and he gets injured, that's your responsibility. And I thought that was a bit naughty from Pat Lamb. And I'm yeah, sure Pat, I'm sure Pat regrets that because he's then tried to put the onus on the referee for a player getting injured, which isn't fair at all. It's not his fault. And actually, when you, when you look back on it and sum it all up, what actually happened is the fact that. They put it was a tactical substitution at half time on the card. He ends up going back on anyway. So they haven't actually done anything wrong in terms of the process of what they did of taking John Afoa off for a tactical and then eventually he goes back on. It's That's the what they way wanted. That's yeah, what they the wanted. Way, Leicester was screaming way, for him to go back yeah, on. It's the way it all manifested itself. So Steve Borthwick would have probably got what he wanted of John Arfoa not going back on because he flipped, didn't he? So Bors has come down and he's realised that John Arfoa can actually go back on. It's tactical. And he was like, I want, he said he's good to go. You're lying, you're lying, get him on. When Pat Lamb was saying he was injured. So eventually it all comes down. Ian Tempest says to them, look, you know, he goes back on if he's, if he, if it's tactical and he can do it, he goes back on, you go back to 13 players. And to be fair to Pat Lamb, Pat Lamb's like, okay, fine. And then they walk off and John Arfo is obviously seeing all this develop. He's the one in the middle going, well, I can do it. So fuck it. 
you know, I'll go and do it. And he then rubbed the Pat, DP. You see, he put the DP on the back of his neck. Yeah. He was good to go. Mate, the DP is the thing that saves everything. So apart from your nutsack. Um, so I think when you look at it, Pat Lamb manipulated the situation. But actually, when you're looking back on it, there wasn't actually anything that they did against the rules or laws because they went tactical. When John Arfoa, I'm sure he didn't want to go back on initially. And then when they realised the, the fact that you're going down to 13 men, it was only going to be an uncontested scrum anyway. But then you've still got to have eight forwards in that scrum. So you'd have been, Leicester would have been attacking from a scrum if you'd have gone to the scrum from five metres out, an uncontested scrum. But you're, you've only got five defenders left if you're Bristol's. Because you've got eight in the pack, you've got five backs, and then you, that total is 13. So you'd expect Leicester to score from an uncontested scrum because you've only got to make five metres over the game line to make it happen. So I'll just give it to Nandolo. He'd have definitely scored. But I think in Steve Borthwick insisting that John Arfoa said he's fit, the testosterone's flowing, as Jim said. And then you see Richard Wigglesworth come over, whisper something to Steve Borthwick. And I'm sure Wiggy knows the game as a scrum half, as most halfbacks know the game. Probably said they're going to get down to 13 men if he doesn't come back on. And then Borthers flips again and says, no, he said he's injured. You're lying. You're lying. So it's not a good look. Pat definitely manipulated the situation slightly. Uh, and when John Arfoa said he's good to go, he's good to go. But the one thing that frustrated me the most is, uh, and where I think... The, the, the officials might have got it slightly wrong. That last scrum, whether it was legal or not, what John Arfoe was doing, because people have said he was going at the angle, whatever, the ball was still in and Andy Oren has taken the ball out of the scrum. The ball was still in, to me, like the back of the, the scrum in, as it's come through the second row's feet in between the six and the eight. And he's just picked the ball up, kicked it out, ref's blown up. Now, the big thing for me is, and I did a column for Rugby Pass, is when you're looking at that, the TMO needs to be able to judge and come in on something that is game-deciding like that at the end of the game. Regardless of the drama in the lead-up, because yeah. that was the thing. I think everyone just wanted to get to Zanzibar, didn't they? I don't know if it was open in Leicester, <laughs> but Tempo wanted in there, mate. And the, the other thing on it is, no one's really said this, but what's John Arfo's reaction inciting Richard Wigglesworth, who then judo rolls him onto the floor? But you could have done John Arfo for unsporting behaviour and penalise him for that. Um, but it was just the height of emotions for everyone, wasn't it? So whilst actually when you break it down, they didn't change the cards or manipulate the situation, said someone was injured when they weren't or whatever, whatever. They followed actually the protocol led by Ian Tempest um, by the fact that it was a tactical substitution at half-time. He tried to say he was injured. He wasn't. John Arfo was going for it full beans, 48 years of age, 480 grand a year. That's how you earn your coin. How good to see Leicester in a ding-dong though. As in how good to see a Leicester team in that moment as fired up instead of just fluffing about doing nothing. I was well happy to see them yeah. back in that uh, testosterone fuel drama. Let's let's fucking go. You mentioned Wasp Scudi. It was a game of two halves for them, wasn't it? What a game. I mean, Irish must be absolutely kicking themselves. How you give up a 33-10 lead at half-time. They literally scored three points in the second half, switched off completely. Wasps came out and it was like a different team. Tom Willis was monstrous. You know, Dan Robson to the fore as well. Josh Bassett off the wing. It was, you know, everyone talks about cliches. A game of two halves. I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it, to be honest. And then the finish, I think Wasps deserved to win it in the end. You know, they've lost a few towards the death and they've missed out, hence where they are in the league. But massively important to get that five-point victory and it just meant so much to the boys. And you see Dan Robson, you see Jack Willis there in the stands. How good was that with his brother at the end? Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, it's... you. it boils down to this weekend. You feel for London Irish a bit because they were brilliant in the first half. Curtis Rona was, I mean, he's quality. He's big, he's powerful. He's one of the best 13s in the league. But they just switched off, didn't they? And um, yeah, deli- I'm actually delighted, obviously, because Wasps play Leicester this weekend. The Andy Good Suite is back open. Of course it is. Are I'll you there? Hosting. Yeah, I'm up there hosting the Andy Good Suite. And Exeter almost matched Wasps. They came back from 18-0 down at half time to win away at Northampton, didn't they? How good, Northampton. That I, I don't want to say it's the best I've seen them play, but in terms of physically, yeah. at the breakdown, my word. And even when they went down to 40 men with David... Yeah, they're only five the up, weren't they? 
Yeah, exactly. So they're only 5 0 up when he goes off, and you're thinking, all right, extra going to come out. And they obviously did um, after half time. And I, I'm going off on a tangent here. Summer rugby, the quality of rugby that we've seen, and how exciting it is, how quick the breakdowns are, players passing the ball because they can, because there's a bit of space, it's harder underground. This kind of weather, you talk about London Irish, how well they played, Northampton as well, the quality of players that they've got. Yeah. And I'm watching that game. How fucking good to Prem. Said yeah. that F word a few times today. But I'm, it's just to exaggerate how good it is. Excellent with how they play and how physical they are. And we know that they are. But Northampton, what they did to them physically around the breakdown in some of their carries. Rory Hutchinson as well was fantastic. Proctor. Mate, I know you're a big fan of Proctor. How is Rory yeah. Hutchinson not in the Scotland squad? But anyway. How is that possible? A, I don't know. What about what about his try? The little chip from Bigger and then the little nudge. I mean, he's done Hoggy, isn't he? Their two British and Irish Lions, Dan Bigger and Courtney Laws for Northampton, were phenomenal. Yeah. But Exeter, it's the Chief Chief Chiefs, isn't it? Old Stu yeah. Townsend. What about Mate, when he, he scored in Yendo? Really well. What about when he scored in Yendo was trying to pull his hair out? So it's obviously a thing <laughs> down there, isn't it? Well, obviously yeah. it's a thing because they're ruthless with their banter. Uh, but yeah. look, this season's been brilliant. Like, it's right down to the wire. Obviously, Northampton have qualified anyway for the top eight. Um, but it takes us into this final weekend. Uh, and this is the whole thing. I think, I don't know, I think you're an advocate for this top eight. Uh, you know, the the last 16 in the Champions Cup. Maybe this is the kind of reboot that we wanted. But it's um, it's been a hell of a season. Summer rugby is what I'm saying. Wouldn't have liked to have done that as a player. But as a fan, definitely. One of the things I uh, we talked about on here previously is uh, the fact that the best-looking scrum half in the world, Francois Hugard, drives a white Lambo. Another bit of information for you now. Courtney Laws, this is big time as well. Is, this a G -Wagon or not? is it a G-Wagon or not? No, he's got the old Bentley Bentayga. The old Bentley No, he hasn't. They start at a mere 162 grand. So, uh, mate, just hit the slip of the Courtney Laws. He is great, man. I could see he, him in that. Just in the big Bentos, the big 4x4 Bentos. What a ledge. In Northampton. Imagine rocking up to the only restaurant in Northampton, which is all you can go Chinese in that. <laughs> you mentioned the top eight before and qualifying for the Champions Cup. Who, who do you think is going to qualify? I think it finishes as it is now. So, I, I think Bath, Leicester and Wasps fill sort of eight seven six just depends on who wins out of Leicester and Wasps and I, I'm actually I actually think the way Leicester are playing they'll beat Wasps this weekend so Wasps will be relying on the fact that London Irish won't beat Bristol um, and Newcastle have got an outside chance but they go away to Quinns so um, Quinns have rested all their boys from last weekend they'll be back looking to fire in a big performance in front of their home fans before going to an away semi-final so I think you know Bath finish in the top eight, as do Wasps, as do Leicester. I agree with your top eight. It's the same. Glad to see Leicester in there, obviously, as well. Well, let's turn our attention to the British and Irish Lions now. And Kyle Sinkland's been called up to the squad to replace the injured Andrew Porter. We've had a tweet come in. At Horse Raw has asked, other than Kyle Sinclair, whose performances since not making the Lions squad have been the biggest two fingers to Warren Gatlin? Oh, don't you put two fingers up to my mentor. Uh, <laughs> firstly, fair play to Carl Sinclair. It comes around, doesn't it? We all saw the emotion in the interview to the leader, whatever you made of that interview. Nonetheless, it showed how important it was for him, how disappointed he was. He's in. So fair play to him. I'm gutted for Andrew Porter. I had him in my Lions squad. I think he's been brilliant. Um, you know, a toe injury is a nasty injury to have as a prop. Ellis Genge, potentially. Joe Marler yeah. as well, the way that he scrummaged. So a couple of loose heads there throw into Marla. the mix. Yeah, I think so. The way he scrummaged. Obviously, with it, there's going to be other players as well. I believe there's going to be other players that will, before that plane takes off for South Africa, won't be on the plane that are in the squad. Now, it's a horrible thing to say, but it always happens, doesn't it? Um, you hope not. Um, so, yeah, loads of players on standby. Like Jim said, Ellis Genge, obviously, has, has played exceptionally well. I don't, I don't know whether he's in the mix, though, isn't he? Because he said he didn't even get a letter or an email. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. All, all the international squads are, are nearly being named. Obviously, England's is this week. So a lot of it will boil down to if you're in the mix, you're definitely going on one of those tours because you want to stay competitive while that happens. And South Africa named their widest squad to face the Lions on Saturday. What do you make of it? Anyone there that you weren't expecting? Well, first and foremost, I think they've named every South African qualified player possible in the biggest squad <laughs> ever. Secondly... Mornay Stain, he gives us all hope. How's he still getting picked for South Africa? 
12 he years after he winner. kicked that kick. Yeah, 12 years That's after he why. kicked that kick. Uh, but apparently he's been tearing up trees for the Bulls. He must be about, I thought he was older than me, Mornay Stain, but clearly not. Um, he went over to Stade Francais, took a load of Euros, played like an absolute... A giraffe without legs or a giraffe without yeah, a neck? I mean, he, he played like he didn't want to be there, to be honest. But he's one of those players that he's gone back to South Africa and you know that they love their country. And he's, he's gone back to the Bulls where it all started for him. He's playing well. I was surprised by him, but then they actually haven't got that much depth at 10. Obviously, uh, Yankees is um, is in the squad and, and Pollard. And Pollard will be first choice. But yeah, every South African player that can qualify for them is in the squad. The, the Prea boys are in it. Fantastic news. My goodness, um, mate. It just shows so, you think, how good the premise again, isn't it? I don't know if I mentioned it yeah. before with the F word, but it shows the physicality of the premiership is obviously something that they're going to look at. And we talk about the South African lads not playing much rugby. Some of them will arguably be primed. And the flip side of it, they've lost potentially, and we, we don't know how bad it is yet, but Vimulan uh, went off with an ankle injury mm. um, at the weekend. And the reports are it's not the best. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, there's plenty of big, beefy South Africans, though, to come in for him. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Well, speaking of the Lions and their series against the Springboks, we're going to have a chat now with a man who was there the last time the Lions toured South Africa. Former Ireland and British and Irish Lions winger Luke Fitzgerald joins us. How are you, mate? Andy, how are things? Good. Thanks for coming on, mate. Let's just start off with a bit of breaking news that, that came out over the, the weekend, over the last couple of days. Uh, I don't know what you were like in this position when you got picked in 2009, but it must be quite difficult playing the last few games, especially when there's not much in it. But poor Andrew Porter being injured, injuring his toe, and now being out of the British and Irish Lions. Obviously, a Leinsterman, an Irishman. Like, how horrible is that for him? Yeah, look, obviously everyone's really disappointed for him, um, you know, and particularly when it's a, like a toe injury. Like, look, you do hear a lot of front rowers, and Jim, you'll be aware as a second rower, uh, they are really important, particularly for your scrummaging, that your toes are, are fit and healthy, you know. So it, it is a very key injury. It seems like, you know, a big lad like him, you know, going down with a toe injury, but it is a key a key area for him. So very disappointing. Um, you know, all you can do is just keep playing as hard as you can. The moment you kind of step back, that's when you get injured. So look, it's an unfortunate one. But look, Kyle Sinclair's playing brilliant as well. The versatility would have been nice with Andrew uh, being able to play on both sides of the scrum. So um yeah good on Kyle I mean obviously you got a lot of press after that that interview he was very you know raw and honest and um, he kept playing hard throughout 
and he gets the reward for for someone else obviously having a you know a bit of bad luck so um good on him and i think you know, the lions don't lose out on too much no, certainly not. And you talk about selections there, and obviously your Irishness is coming through. Let's be honest, right? The Irish and the Irish media and a lot of people were not happy with Warren Gatland picking so few Irish internationals compared to what they thought. Um, you know, obviously, some of them are, are fairly justified selections and non-selections, um, and some of them, from an Irish perspective, they weren't happy, were they? What's, Warren Gatland hasn't got a great relationship with Ireland anymore is he and and you know do you think there's something in that or is it just a case of it's just an opinion and it doesn't really matter that there's a bit of bad blood between Ireland and and, and Warren Gatland you know we had we had a really like it's you know a fairly unprecedented run of success with with Joe Schmidt but the only guy who seemed to be consistently able to kind of unpick him was Warren Gatland and like the job he did with Wales I think it's probably envy rather than you know a hatred he's an unbelievable operator like I think I would always say at times that I feel like he's an odd enough selector, but he generally gets it right. And I think the key part, and you guys will be aware, I think as well, you know, getting everyone moving in the right, in the same direction is the key thing with being a coach. And he always does that. So even regardless of the selections, while there was definitely a few disappointed ones, I would probably touch on them. I always think he's, he's a great coach and uh, I think he'll, he'll get it right out there. I think the Sexton one, while he's injured, is surprising. I think he, you know, particularly when I thought Finn Russell, yes, an excellent player. I think if you look at how Sexton matched up in the Six Nations, particularly, he was very, very good. I mean, particularly in the Scotland game, got that kick at the end as well, but he was brilliant throughout the campaign and finished a lot of games, which is the big concern with Sexton, I suppose, for lots of people. The James Ryan one probably stood out as well. Um, don't think he's been unbelievable since, you know, he's had a few knocks, wasn't unbelievable in the, in the Six Nations, but I think particularly after the Exeter game, I think there was a bit of surprise from a few of the Leinster guys that the La Rochelle game on the flip side was picked out as Leinster not being physical enough. But if you saw that what they did to, to Exeter in that match, that was really a bit of a head scratcher for, for lots of guys over here um, in terms of why you know they weren't selected based on their lack of physicality against La Rochelle, particularly when they did a serious number, I thought, on Exeter having gone behind 14 points. So they're probably the ones that stand out, Goody. That was probably what caused a, a few of the... Uh, like I think there was a bit of... The, people understood that. They did understand why they weren't selected. There was a little bit of chatter about that over here. But I think people were still surprised because they felt the Six Nations would really be the basis for that. And then I thought when they looked at the Exeter stuff, they would have said, well, geez, you know, I, I, an answer did a real number on them. So yeah. I, feel, I felt like it wasn't really fair or a level playing field in terms of uh, the selection policy. So that's probably why that was. And with Johnny Sexton, we've had... A few jokes on here about him being too old and and stuff like that, and that ended up. That's you saying words. that, Jim. Jim, that's you <laughs> saying that. Let's just clear that up. Not we, less of the we, just you. Very true. <laughs> I'll put my name to it, um, Luke. But with Johnny Sexton, I'm sure that there's a stat out there that he's not strung three or more games together or something like that since 2018. Something that I think when you delve into it, I mean, with Johnny and how proud he is. I know he's not heavy into social media and. We've not seen anything over here. Has he come out and said anything in the media or has he just kept a low profile? Has anything been said kind of from anyone close to him around it? Because obviously it is a big deal. It is a headline over in, in Ireland with him not going. No, I don't think so. And I'd say he'd very much be in the picture if one of the guys went down anyway. Yeah. Um, the key part for him was always going to be getting back. I think he's really pushing hard for a game against the Dragons this, uh, sorry, next Friday. Um, because I'd say that's the last chance for him to be in the shop window. The only thing I would say is he's come back from long periods out of injury and, and played really well. And I think lots of the chat about the three games in a row, we, well, I think the feeling over here was that he put that to bed in the six nations, having done that. I always feel if, if you look at his numbers, yeah, there's, there's probably a certain element of that. He's a physical enough guy. He gets stuck in and he's definitely a target, but I would have said oftentimes because of his importance to Ireland, if they're ever winning a game comfortably, he won't finish it. They just pull him after 20, which I think, yeah. you know, there's two sides that I thought it's actually a bad habit for a player to get into anyway. But because of his importance, the coach would have got milled if like he got he got taken out in the game that you're winning in the last 10 minutes. So there was a bit of that as well in terms of the numbers. So I'd be careful about maybe having a, you know, I have to have a really close look at that. I think in most of the big games, you'll see he generally would finish them. He's a really key guy for them. And I think if you look at the head-to-head with, with um, Finn Russell, that was the one that probably stood out in that Scotland match that everyone was going to say, well, you can clearly see there's a difference between them. And I would feel going out on the tour that, yes, Finn Russell's a great, like, I love watching Finn Russell, but like <laughs> he nearly cost him the game against England, I thought. And I think he's a bit up and down in the big games that, yes, he's flashy. He could be good off the bench, but can he really start on the Lions tour? Is he ever going to be in with, 
a chance of starting ahead of Owen Farrell or ahead of Bigger. And I don't feel like that's a real possibility. I really believe that. I don't think there's enough games for him to really prove that. And I would say if Johnny went, that there is a chance of him starting. So are you bringing someone out to sit on the bench for you, possibly, to bring something different? Or are you bringing people out who can start and win test matches for you? Definitely. I love the way Johnny Sexton's trying to get himself fit for the Dragons at home, where they're going to win by about 60 <laughs> points. Mate, what a wise man. They got beat by Glasgow at the weekend. Mate, yeah, do not do go that. to Glasgow away on a plastic pitch. Just prep yourself for Dragons at home and win by 100, probably. Um, yeah. Let's talk back three then, mate, your area of expertise. Um, obviously, loads of competition there. The standout player really from from nowhere has been Lewis Rees Samet who has just got silly wheels A do you reckon he could play test match rugby over it for the Lions or is he a midweek player and what would your starting back three be in the test series uh, I, I think he can I thought he was brilliant for Wales uh, he looks like a big guy you think of South Africa you always think they've got wheels on the outside so you know you probably want to match someone up with great pace out there you know and probably there's a few of the guys that yeah are they don't have the out and out pace that he has but they're probably better footballers so yes I do think he can start I think he's one of those guys that probably would need to play extremely well in one or two of those games like be a real standout in a fairly tough fixture so that's probably some of the later fixtures really you know whether he gets a chance to do that I don't know to my mind, starting back three is going to be look, Hogg is a shoe in. Uh, you know, I just think with his kicking game, particularly on the high belt as well, that's a real addition for the team. And I think is obviously his, his attacking prowess. He's you know so good going forward. He, he's a, a cert for me. I like Liam Williams. Mm. I'm, I'm just a huge fan. Always of turns up, eh? He, but he's great under the high ball. You'll definitely get tested down there with that. He's really brave. He's tough. Uh, he's a smart footballer as well. You're going to need someone who wants to be in the physical side of the game down in South Africa. It's just a different... You guys, I'm sure you've played down there. It's a different level down there. So he's a guy I'd love to have in the trenches with me down there. I'd be finding a way to get him in the team. The last guy I have in there is Anthony Watson. I actually thought he was very good for England in the Six yeah, Nations. Was. So, um, yeah, they're probably my my three standouts. But I look, would I have Zamet in there? Yeah, like I'd love to see him get a go. He's going to be a superstar in the future. There's no doubt about that. But it's, has he got that little bit of the little bit of polish that you probably really like? You do get very exposed, I think, in the outside channels against those three Southern Hemisphere teams, and they all have great pace and finishers. So, does he have the experience and the that little bit of nous that you need at international level to to survive out there? Because there's going to be times where you're going to be on your own, and you're going to have, be, have to be comfortable out there defending against a guy with great like your Chelsea Colby's or one of these guys. Yeah, does he have the experience and the, and the calmness? And, you know, at international level to do that. Yeah, and you mentioned we know what it's like playing against South Africa. I played against them a few times and, yeah, they were never that close, really, let's be honest. But <laughs> looking back, looking back, I've uh, been doing a bit of work for the famous Grouse over the last few months and I've gone through the test matches, obviously, that you guys played and everyone speaks about that second test match in 2009. And sometimes when you look back on games, people say, oh, yeah, it was one of the best test matches. You'd be like, yeah, all right. I'm telling you now, if anyone, any listeners haven't seen that game, get it on YouTube. 2009, second test match. Luke, you were obviously in the middle of that. And Getting my eye pulled out. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's talk about your eye being pulled out by Scott Berger. Let's get a headline. What happened there? And one eye. Like, You've only you talk got about, one eye. One eye. And you talk about the physicality. Come on, what's it like? My, my mates still give me, like anytime we're, we're on the piss and it comes up, they all go, oh, my eye. You know, they, they absolutely love that. Uh, it was a, an astonishing decision because I actually was, we were privy enough to the conversation between touch judge and referee. And he, he blatantly said it was a, it was an eye gouge. You know, it was, it was bizarre yeah. that he did. He only got a yellow card. I suppose he was on his 50th cap. It would have been hard enough for him to get out alive of uh, Loftus Ferrisville if he'd given a red card. But uh, that was obviously a crazy moment. But look, to get to the real important stuff, it was an unbelievable game. As you said, like if anyone watching that game, I mean, Probably the, the the standout memory, really, aside from obviously the loss, was really disappointing, right? And we probably threw away a few easy ones, um, you know, in terms of tries off set pieces. They're always disappointing ones to give away. But I think the halftime at changing rooms was probably the, like my real memory of it. If you ask any of the guys who were in there, like it was a proper war zone. There was people kind of wincing, like and kind of like kind of shouting, like <laughs> getting shoulders put back in. You know, it was played at a ferocious pace as well. So everyone was kind of you know, it was fairly frantic as well. Uh, for the yeah. first couple of minutes, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. Like even coming into the ground in Loftus Versfield, they're throwing kind of beer at the at the uh, at the bus. And oh, as much as you're kind of like uh, getting like your G'd up going to, to to the hotel, you get your jersey. There's a pre-match speech from Willie John McBride or whoever it is. 
it's definitely a cauldron and it's a brilliant brilliant place to play rugby and all the the, the big staffers are out with their brides you know uh, had a few beers and it's very very uh, like all of south africa is very much uh, you know hostile enough at the stadiums really friendly afterwards and around the place but it's a super play, place to play rugby and you've got to front up and that match was it's the best rugby match i've ever played in despite the result purely like the quality and the commitment from everyone involved i mean it was just a it was an amazing experience yeah d- disappointing but great like and on that game um obviously it's been played at loftus first felt at altitude the British and Irish Lions players aren't going to be used to it. How quickly were you adapting to it? Because having played there, the games are just, it's so hard to explain how different the games can be. And you can see those areas, but you can see that intensity and and you're blowing literally out your ass from minute five, aren't you? Because yeah. of the altitude. Do you think it's going to have a massive part to play again this summer? Um, do you think it gives them a huge advantage? Because obviously two of the tests are at altitude, aren't they? Yeah, I do. I think it's it's it takes a while to get used to it. And you've uh, you guys will know like one of the key things with playing top class sport, I think any sport is kind of fitness because it allows you to think. Don't know anything about it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but you were fit in your mind, Goody. No, I, I I think like you know the 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 key part in staying calm and delivering you know on all the skills and the physical part of it is actually being able to think clearly. That's the hardest part because you're blowing five five or ten minutes earlier than you normally would be. You're kind of saying, "Geez, like, am I am I going to be able to get through this?" The ball flies a little bit further. That makes it difficult for back three guys. Um, you know, people chasing things. It's it's just an odd enough. It takes you a couple of training sessions to get your feet, but then like getting your bearings in a test match is very very different because of the pace and they're used to it. And Ellis Park as well. Like, not I don't know if many people will know. Johannesburg is is actually very high uh, altitude as well. Yeah. So that's actually a tough place to play uh, your your rugby as well so like it, it is very difficult but they will be using those masks and they'll use the oxygen chambers to try and you know at least simulate some of the difficulty that people will have acclimatizing to the you know the, the the level above sea so i'm hoping that they'll that'll mitigate it a little bit but it'll still be a shock to them and the key part again is staying calm in those moments where the game is going at breakneck speed they're unbelievably physical and committed on home soil there's something about playing in south africa i mean new zealand will know they've never was it 96 was the first time they'd won a, a series out there in I think it was ever. Um, so if they're finding it pretty hard out there, you know, it's, you know, people coming from Northern Hemisphere who aren't playing them as regularly, like it's a huge change. And it's a, it's a, it's like nothing you'll ever experience. They're, they're, they're a bit crazy out there actually. And they're so committed um, that it can be a bit overwhelming. They can overwhelm you at the start of the game. I think that happened in part of the first test. Uh, they overwhelmed us physically, you know, at the start of the game. And we came back and obviously the few opportunities that we maybe didn't capitalize on. But I still think that was a real shock to the to the system. So there are the things that they'll all be experiencing and that they'll have to be thinking about before and prepare your mind for those moments where you're going to be out of breath more than you've ever known, but still have to be in the middle of a game and thinking clearly and delivering on the strategy. And that's the, that's the big challenge in South Africa. One of the biggest challenges, definitely. When I played at Altitude, I just didn't flinch, mate. Did you, Jim? Well, I, I bet you, I was going to say you didn't flinch because you probably had 10 Marlboro Lights on the way to the game. So <laughs> your body was accustomed to yeah. the oxygen deficit or whatever it is. To oxygen deprivation, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, Luke, let's chat about something that some of the listeners might not realise. And again, I, I don't think I really understood it until this year was around the narrative, around the British and Irish Lions and, you know, the, the disaster is a strong word, but off the back of the 2005 tour, and the 2001 tour, you know, there was a lot of pressure on you guys in 2009 to save face. And I know you lost that game, uh, the second test, which was important, but the way that you lads played, obviously won the third test, arguably saved the romance and the traditions and the importance of what the, the Lions stands for. Yeah, I, I think so. I suppose in my own mind, I got dropped for that one, Jim. So I was a bit like... <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Jim. Mate. Uh, Jim, why have you horrible? Uh, thanks for reminding me, by the way. No, but I think they made a lot of changes for that one. But I really felt like the second test was the key one because at the end of the day, it finished on, the, on, a, on a kick at the end. Like an unbelievable yeah. kick over the halfway line. And, you know, the, the scenes at the end, the elation and the disappointment, like that's what the, the supporters out there rallied around us unbelievably after that second test. Which, you know, you think maybe, oh, geez, they've, they've lost a series, but they really did rally around us, Jim. And I felt like that was really the, the, the key part because people can buy into that when they see the effort, when they see, you know, how much it meant to everyone. People like, you know, on the floor, people, you know, crying at the end of it, you know, having given everything. Um, that, to my mind, was probably what what really sealed that love affair. And, and you can see that it's really flourished since that. 
Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that's come out recently, uh, John Schmidt spoke to me after I actually went and played for the Sharks the year after that tour. Um, and he said that the Lions boys turned down going into the changing rooms having beers with South African boys after the game. Is that true? Is that I can't believe that because those boys are so hospitable. I don't think we got a booty. So we were kind of like, we, we got the invite came and it was a real tradition down there. But we didn't, yeah. we didn't know that. So I think... Um, maybe there was a bit of like you're just Sean Edwards and the few, you know like yeah, Sean yeah, and like, it was very much the battle lines were drawn there were we were in our trench so there might have been a little bit of that but I think people they were actually I think quite offended by that yeah. and we didn't realize did you say to the boys I can't come in someone's pulled my eye out <laughs> <laughs> a patch of my eye yeah uh, no I um uh, look it, it was it's a weird one we were disappointed afterwards that we heard that that was a tradition in there and we hadn't upheld that um I think well that was definitely my view on it anyway I think some others were kind of maybe a bit like you know there might have been a bit of bad blood and a few nasty enough challenges I think Adam Jones is a challenge the, the backies challenge on Adam Jones probably the everyone was hurting bad after the Shaw Burger one on me uh, I mean, like I remember, we were the, the the piss up. There was a huge piss up after the game, after the second test, after we lost it, and uh, I had to go. The lads were like, "No, like do a job with him. Like he 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 did, like he deserves." It. I just you know I had no interest at, at that stage, and I remember sitting in a room with Backies and uh, Shawk Burger, and I was like, they were both obviously come in like hadn't hadn't slept and like a wink, and they were still fairly merry. And I'm in there kind of miserable, missing out in the piss up with our guys and, and, and the team after the game and having to give evidence to try and get this guy a ban. It was a weird enough dynamic after in that respect. There was a little bit of bad blood and disappointment about the ref's decision on that one. And then um, it probably manifested itself in a probably not a great way. But look, that's what happens when it means a lot. People get emotions run high. So, yeah, that was probably no one. I haven't really told that story to anyone, but it was a really odd sitting there, like having a conversation with the two of them um and and going into a room like literally five feet away to give evidence against them and be like well yeah like i mean i don't know what you want me to say it's fair you know it's on tape it did happen and is that is that when he gave you your eyeball back at the display <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> i was uh, yeah the, the it was it was bizarre enough yeah look it is your eye back my child yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot bro yeah I, I, it was, it, yeah. was um, it was a bizarre enough one like i, I still think but it's funny that's one of the most disappointing things in my whole career. I still think back on that match. I made an error for, for the first try. I think it was uh, JP Peterson might have run in and I didn't bite in on something. And I, it still haunts me. And obviously then that they got they, they got away with the, the short burger red card at the start. Like it's one you'd love to get back. But, you know, look, there's loads of them. And you're, I'm sure you lads will have one or two of them as well. That's the one I think about the most um, post-career. All right, like, well, thank you very much for coming on the show and enjoy the enjoy watching the tour. Both eyes open, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Luke. Top man. Top lad. Yeah, Top lad. And, and I think the thing is, people forget, like, the TMO must have been having a poo or something when he's getting his eyeball ripped out by um, Schottberger. It was, it was a disgrace, wasn't it, in reality? And, and is Shout that sort of player, you know, Clearly he was, because it was obvious as anything. It's weird, because with Scout Berger, when he came to Saracens, I'm thinking, like, I don't like the look of this bloke. And I think many people thought the same as me, because I was hard as nails. Watch your eyes. Watch uh, your eyes. Yeah. But, you know, but there are certain things, and I don't know the story. Uh, and I'm mates with Scout Berger now. I would say that I'm mates. We used to sit on the phone rollers and watching Mauro Toji squat 200, and I was basically rolling me back and he was on his phone um but <laughs> it, it was weird to see that kind of unfold then meet the bloke himself and i think backies is the same you know whenever you speak to backies i mean you see he looks like goody he's eating you three times now but <laughs> he has yeah, he's a big old boy isn't he? <laughs> but that's the thing when you play against the south africans and i've played against south africa and i won't say who but someone gouged me playing against south africa and no word of a lie from a kickoff thumb straight in my eye first kickoff of the game they've obviously gone for the enforcer i can see pal i've played 60 minutes and i cannot see i've gone fucking blurred vision anyway it's not about me it's about who was it who was it do you can't just, I, i'm not telling you you told me off air it was victor matfield so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't victor um the, the way that they play like off the ball like fucking dirty hard as nails like that's what it is that's what they do like yeah. look they're different now look you at you can't sale. do it now can you yeah, you can't, but look at Sale, right? And the Dupree boys. Look at Jasper Visa at Leicester. Yeah. Like, look at any South African player playing anywhere. They're fucking monsters. 
Like, yeah, like they are. Like they're just hard yeah. as nails. However yeah. hard looks, look at 97. You know, look at 95. Look at the games that they played in the 90s when they're double-footing players in rooks. They play within the parameters of what is almost acceptable, bar obviously the gouge in that game. All right, well, let's move on to social media then. And Goody, you put a tweet out that went viral as Jim would say, on Twitter over the weekend. Of course he I mean, did. I just, you know, I saw the footage of uh, Jake Ball and Alan Jones throwing some pretty hefty handbags at each other. I just thought, I'd, the masses want to see it, don't they? And it went viral. Got about 50,000 likes on it. So, um, yeah, it looked like a pretty tasty encounter. Jake Ball bags giving him a quick slap early on and then boom, boom, boom. They're both having a go. I think Jake Ball wins that, don't they? I love how Ken Owens has just stood there just thinking, like, what's happening here? Do not, do not KO Alan Wynne Jones, Jake Ball bag, but he nearly <laughs> did. Look, here's a man who knows how to send a shot and take a shot. Jake Ballbag sent a few decent shots in there as well. And Alan Wynne-Jones, if a man can take them, he can take them. Ian Wheeler actually tweeted who was filled in better, Alan Wynne-Jones by Jake Ball or Jim by Big Dev. Well, there's not much video evidence of mine and Big Dev's. Luckily... He's had it taken down, so I don't know who I don't know what contacts he's got at YouTube or social media. But I tell you what, uh, off the back of this, some of the old lads from Scotland might end up uh, digging out some archive footage uh, because there's a few embar- there's a few horrors in there, and I mean horrors in terms of embarrassing scraps from my time. It's one of them. Like if you're Jake Ball, Jake Ballbag, like how hard are you punching Alan Wynne Jones there? It's a Test match week. I think they had England that week. I was just, I'd more go for the kind of slap or the grab. Right. Let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, we certainly will. We're going to start off in France where we saw the last round of the top 14 this weekend and Stade Francais won away at Bayonne to sneak into the top 14 playoffs and condemn Bayonne to a relegation playoff. It was a great win for them. And talking about relegation in the top 14, but we'll talk about promotion because Perpignan are back in the top 14 after winning... The Pro D de playoff game against Biritz this weekend, 33-14. So great to see a monster club in Perpignan getting back up into the big leagues. So well done to them. Uh, what else is good? Exeter, uh, the biggest second half comeback in the club's premiership history to beat Saints. That was pretty special. Uh, Bristol guaranteed to finish in the top two in the premiership for the first time ever after beating Leicester with a bit of jiggery-pokery at the end towards whether they should or shouldn't have had John Arfo back on. But tip of the slipper to Bristol for finishing the top two for the first time ever um, Sale Sharks absolutely monstered Harlequins we didn't really talk about it on the pod but we'll say it on air absolutely put them to bed pants around their ankles muscle physicality you call it what you will they did it to Harlequins so uh, tip the slipper to Sale what else is good Tom Willis and Wasps we've got to get them in haven't we what a game that was Tom Willis, the first was number eight to score a hat-trick since Peter Scrivener did in 1999. Um, so well done to him. It was a monstrous performance. Wasps get a mention as well for their biggest ever second-half comeback in Premiership history. 23 points down at half-time uh, to come back and win 39-36. Um, but the good this week goes to one man, and I tweet about it on Saturday. It was a phenomenal effort from Richard Wigglesworth. He's played his 300th Premiership game. Um, so Wiggy has had a fantastic career he's still got a bit of life left in the old dog yet he'll be staying at Leicester next year I think to add to this 300 premiership game tally so uh, well done Wiggy absolute legend of a bloke 300 prem games is some effort so you get the good this week a few bits of bad we'll start off in France as well Toulon lost heavily away at cast 46-24 not only to miss out on the top 14 playoffs but they also won't be in the Champions Cup next year as cast took the Last spot there, so Toulon in the Challenge Cup again. Uh, we mentioned them before, week on week. Agen, they need to mention the bad. They've become the first ever team to lose all 26 games in a top 14 season. And they scored a total of only 315 league points, which is six less than the league's top point scorer, Benjamin Erda-Pajeta uh, from Cast. So I didn't see it. Christophe Lesouk. Mate, it's Christophe Lesouk was the head coach at the start of the year. He got fired halfway through. I mean, was he the scrum half from Leicester? Old Christoph pissed off. Yeah, he was the most angry little Frenchman I've ever met in my life. I have he was never so seen angry, a man smoke as many off. cigarettes in the lead up to a training <laughs> session in my life, apart from Rennie Ranger. Um, so that was pretty bad. Um, what else was bad? Dwayne Vermeulen's injury, we mentioned it just before. He was helped off the field with an ankle injury at the weekend for the Bulls in the, their win over the Stormers. So we wish Dwayne Vermeulen all the best in his recovery because we want to see him in a South Africa jersey playing 
against the Lions in the summer. Um, talking about the Lions, the bad this week, unfortunately, has to go to Andrew Porter's toe injury. Devastating for him to miss out on the Lions tour um, after getting picked. You know, people were really looking forward to seeing him play. He can cover both sides of the scrum, so he's going to be a real asset to the squad. So, unfortunately, the bad goes to Andrew Porter and his toe injury this week. It's ruled him out of the Lions tour. The ugly, three bits of ugly this weekend, unfortunately. And we'll start off with zebra forward Christian Stoian. Uh, he got red carded for a shoulder to the head of Cardiff scrum half Thomas Williams at a ruck. Sticking with the old red cards and shoulder to the head. David Ribbons as well, we spoke about that earlier. Far too upright in the tackle of Luke Karandicki. So rightly sent off a shoulder to the head. Uh, but the ugly this week goes to the scenes at the end of Bristol's win over Leicester. I loved it. Yeah, it's just ugly scenes, isn't it? There's a scrappy-dappy-do. John Arfo has gone over to Wiggy and shouted in his face. Wiggy's judo rolled him to the deck. I think he might have given it the old forearm in the face, trying to send a few jabs through. Then Nathan Hughes comes in. He's running from the bench 50 yards away and tried to pick up Ellis Genge. Ellis Genge is giving it, no, 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 shrugs him off. Then Illy in the stands. You don't pick a rhino up, do you? You don't pick a baby rhino up. You certainly don't know. So, uh, and Ian Tempest, he did a good job. But what Pat Lamb said to him, saying that it'd be on his responsibility if John O'Farrell got injured, that just ain't great. So, uh, the whole scene gets a mention and they win the ugly. Thanks, Scooty. And you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, a huge shout out to Tom, Alex and Joe from Birmingham Mosey Rugby Club who are cycling 300 miles to raise money in memory of the wife of former Mosley captain David Warren. Um, Jackie Warren, who sadly passed away with cancer last year. So a massive good luck to the boys from Mosey Rugby Club. Uh, a 300 mile bike ride after what I've done over the last few days. You're going to need some chamois cream for the old gooch. So good luck, guys. But a great cause. Yeah, good luck, Tom, Alex and Joe. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and head on over to Spotify and we'll see you there. Tell the bat that. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.